the Bavada at Odds podcast. My name is Seth Everett. I'm joined by the head odds maker at Bavada, Patrick Morrow, as we break down the latest odds in all the major sports. NFL week to week as the playoffs are upon us, we'll break down the latest odds plus the futures. It's the Bavada at Odds podcast. Find it wherever you get your podcast. Sports MLB Show. Here are your hosts, the luckiest men on the face of the earth, Chase Fedorsky and Bryce Holden. Welcome to episode 149 of the Underdog Sports Baseball Show with Bryce Holden. My name is Chase Fedorsky. And Bryce, there is a breaking prop bet, and it will be our BovadaSportsbook.com pick of the week, that there is a rumor going on that your new favorite pitching coach across Major League Baseball, this is minus 120, is Jim Hickey. How do you feel about that statement? (laughs) Um, Oh, boy. I don't get it. I get your joke for sure. And if this was – if we had a YouTube channel, the audience would also understand your joke. Uh, No, he's not my new favorite pitching coach. I think that the whole concept of Hickey's – I don't know how I let this one go. I don't know why I let this one happen again. I should be better, but um, if you're out in Western Colorado, tune on in to uh, channel KKCO News 11. I'm not really sure what times you should be tuning in, but uh, if you want to see the culprit for this hickey, she's on there. I actually didn't know when I made that joke that Jim Hickey was back in baseball. Um, you know, I, I think of Jim Hickey when the Rays, when the Tampa Bay Rays became the Rays, left the devil rays in the you, dust with Joe. You Madden. mean like became the, do you mean literally became the rays or. more uh, literally, literally and figuratively like Jim Hickey took over as pitching coach there in 2006. I think of Jim Hickey as much of that success as I do Joe Madden, to be hundred percent honest with you. Um, just because the pitching that they turned in year in year out, doesn't matter who they traded was so successful. He was Joe Madden's right-hand man uh, went to Chicago with them in 2017 And I actually didn't know that Jim is back in baseball, but it turns out he is the pitching coach for the Washington Nationals. I, in the context of making a joke about you, learned something new about baseball. And it's very rare that I learned something entirely new about baseball. So thank you for inspiring me. If I'm going to use another Ron Burgundy quote. Please don't. Yeah, I probably shouldn't. But yeah, if you want me to say speak more Ron Burgundy-isms, I got some good ones that I could just fire off here. Yeah, text text Bryce afterwards. Uh, after I'm also going to watch – I am more excited than ever to watch Anchorman. And Anchorman uh, – Chase, yeah, if, are you, I'm going to try and phrase it the way I want to. You're way more of a movie buff than I am. Okay. If I had, if I had three hours to go and I was stuck in a movie theater and could pick anything I wanted, I think Anchorman would have been my pick before this whole – News Three story. hours to go is in like you're gonna die. Yeah. So and you can asking, only watch one movie on the way out. So you're basically asking me what's the last thing I want to see before I die. Well, you got three hours to go. Wolf of Wall Street. I also may have done. A, it's interesting you say Wolf of Wall Street because I may have hit the town of Grand Junction, Colorado, with a "I'm not fucking leaving." 
which I'm going to have to backtrack in short order. I was going to just give you credit and say, uh, I was going to bail you out there and say, yeah, you were Wolf of Wall Street because you made some good stock investments, but you shot yourself in the foot there. Uh, I was like, did I make good stock investments? What? I was going to say you became the Wolf of Wall Street rather than, you know, you making you seem like making yourself seem like a degenerate in Grand Junction. I was going to give I you more credit. Cool, I think I, I, you know what? I'll say it. You know how cool I've gotten in Grand Junction? Cooler than the other side of the pillow. Even cooler than that. There's this rapper guy. His name is Kid Leroy, apparently. I started calling Kid Leroy King Kid Leroy and not Kid Lawa. Maybe you're cooler than Coolio. You're just living your own gangster's paradise. So to tie this all together, um, is your new favorite weather person this Colorado weather anchor? Because my favorite weatherman uh, is an amateur weatherman, and it's Mike Trout to tie this into baseball. But it looks like Mike Trout has been replaced as the official favorite weather person of the Underdog Sports Baseball Show. 100%. Okay, so Bryce is out there in Colorado. Uh, you just let me know. It turns out the person in conjunction that we've been talking about uh, is not actually a weather girl. She She's is- the, Yeah, I know. Weather girl sounds way cooler than Veronica Corningstone. She is essentially the Veronica Corningstone of Grand Junction. Well, if you found your Christina Applegate out there as uh, the great- No, I did it. As the, I did you know it. what? I'm doing another hip-hop thing. You got your hip-hop thing. I'm going with mine. Uh, as the great De La Soul once said, Christina Applegate, you got it going on. Hope you found a girl who's got it, got it, got it going on. But we are going to talk baseball. This is a baseball podcast. Um, you know what? I'm, I'm happy you reminded me this is a baseball podcast because this was about to go down a very different road. We're going to talk labor negotiations. Uh, less than one week after Major League Baseball made proposals with hope of creating a path towards a new CBA, the Players Association countered last Tuesday with minimal movement on a number of issues. I know we kind of mentioned this on last week's podcast, but I just wanted to be more specific. Uh, per sources, the MLB Players Association offered to reduce its figure for a pre-arbitration bonus pool from 105 to 100 million. Uh, the league offered to create a 10 million dollar pool, one which would reward the top performers among the group of pre-arbitration uh, players. Now, be fueled by central baseball using the framework that had initially been presented by the Players Association. Uh, just to give an example of what that would mean. The MLB proposed pre-arbitration bonus pool. Uh, Corbin Burns last year, the National League Cy Young winner, he would have earned $2.34 million instead of $608,000. Vlad Jr., the AL MVP runner-up, would have gone from $635,400 to $1.843 million. Uh, and other pre-arbitration players, including Austin Riley, Jonathan India, and Randy Rosarino, would have had a big salary jump of more than two. Was Austin Riley your pick for MVP by the end of the season? I think you were with Harper, but I think you were trying to do the Austin Riley thing as long as you could. I think that was more so I was really happy that I picked him up in fantasy and was trying to make a justified case for him. Which, speaking of which, I was thinking of my fantasy keepers the other day, and Austin Riley did not come up. Uh, is the free agent – what's the free agent policy in our league? What round do you lose? Was it like 11th? I'm not allowed in the league group text. Do you remember what it was? I want to say 15th. Austin Riley for 15 rounds. I'm going to have somewhere 11. If it's it's between 11 and 15, so either way, that's not a bad. I mean, third base is third base deep. Well, I haven't done my research yet. I think it is still pretty deep. I think third base and shortstop both are. I, I just think Riley. Basically, you're betting on the fact that the breakout was legit, which I think it was. Uh, and even if it wasn't that legit, I think he'll outperform a 15 round pick. I hope so. You definitely hope so. 
So based on this player pool, you know, look, the main reason the player association shot this down was because they want to get everybody paid, not the very tippity top um, of players who are pre-arbitration. You know, again, the Bavada odds of something like this being accepted by the players association, they're non-existent. It would be plus a thousand because again, they want to get everybody paid. Uh, and then the players association said Tuesday it was open to the league's proposal to reward teams with draft picks for keeping top prospects on the roster for the entire season. But while the union was receptive to the league's idea, the players association also wanted to incorporate its own plan to combat the issue, a system that would reward pre-arbitration players with a full year of service time based on their finish and awards voting and placement on war leaderboards for their respective positions. Per sources, the players association remained stuck on a pair of key issues. Super two eligibility where the union wants all players with two years of service time to be eligible for arbitration, not just the 22% with the most service time as it currently stands and a reduction in revenue sharing. MLB has been steadfast from the beginning of the negotiation that these two issues are non-starters for the league owners. Again, competitive balance tax threshold is still in play. So we got a lot of issues here. Um, but Tuesday, the major league baseball owners said that they would have a counter proposal to the players association's latest proposal. Um, and major league baseball said, you know what, we're not going to come back to the table. We're not going to do a counter proposal. And instead they requested the immediate assistance of a federal mediator to help resolve the sports lockout, uh, potentially inserting the presence of a neutral party to end works at work stoppage. Now in its third month, the league reached out to the federal mediation and Con conciliation service, a governmental agency that attempts to help resolve labor disputes uh, mediation is not mandatory and the players association would need to agree to the involvement of a third party. They have obviously shot that down since then. Uh, mediation, for those who don't know, is a process by which an outside party intervenes during labor strife. And this has become commonplace throughout the history of sports labor relations. The role of mediators is more to bridge communication issues between sides and help them find middle ground uh, than offer mandates or implement solutions. Um, the mediators were used during the strikes in 81 and 94. But again, those were strikes, not lockouts. Uh, the latter of which did not end up with a resolution and recent mediation efforts in other sports have provided uh, successful outcomes, including the 2013 NHL lockout, the 2015 uh, MS MLS lockout. But the main reason the players aren't for this, because again, more than two decades earlier, uh, mediation efforts in major league baseball, had the opposite effect mediator, Bill Ussery angered players with approach with his approach and was unable to save the 94 world series or which reach an agreement for the beginning of the 95 season uh, with Tom Glavin, union leader at the time, saying we were willing to compromise and we've shown that. But Mr. Usury's proposal was outrageous in many instances. We'd be giving things away we've gone on strike for previously. So let's break this down here. What, are you, what was your initial thought when you heard that the owners, unsurprisingly, as billionaires do in the side of strikes, um, use the tactic of we're going to bring in federal mediators to quote unquote, get this done as quick as possible and reach a compromise. Uh, when really we know, unfortunately, mediators tend to side, tend to side, at least in my opinion, on the side of the big businesses. Why is that your opinion? It's just my opinion. I think that's the way these goes. When I picture the mediators, I just picture them siding with the billionaires for some reason. I think you're worried. Is it an, is that an opinion or a perception? A little bit of both. I don't know. I honestly don't know what this means, but it seems like it's an unpopular decision. Um, the owners bringing this in, like, sure, it'll, like, at the end of the day, the two sides have to sign something, and they are so dug into their side. They're so deeply rooted in their stance. They're so far apart that this mediator business probably doesn't bridge the gap entirely, but it should help. 
So what people are saying, the main reason that the owners uh, throughout mediation of the players, you know, it, it wasn't so much in good faith that they really wanted to get the negotiation done. Uh, but now the owners can say that if they attempt to use mediators uh, and the union declines, that it's the union who are the ones who are obstruction, obstructionist to this deal getting done. Um, and if you're looking at reasons why the players themselves wouldn't want to go through the process, one major reason is that they fear mediation can involve splitting their union up to an extent. Um, and in the players' view, the league hasn't moved much in their direction at all. Splitting it down the middle or even close in negotiations could inherently benefit management at a time in which players are looking for significant changes. That's mostly the reason why, as to why I thought mediation would favor the owners. Uh, mediation isn't binding, which lessens the risk for the players. Uh, but again, there is a PR hit to some who just look at this on the surface. There's going to be a PR hit for the players, for people who look at this as a surface on the surface as nothing more than owners are wanting to get to the table. They want to bring in a mediator. The players are saying, absolutely not. Screw this. Owners don't give a shit about PR. PR for an owner is secondary. You don't. You typically don't become a major league baseball owner caring too much about public perception. You become a baseball owner because you do whatever it takes to get to the top and then you have a ton of money. Steve Cohen would be the poster boy for that. You certainly have that take right. I, I just think, I mean, look, I'll just go right into it. Friday, then the Players Association rejected the league's request to involve federal mediation and bargaining, uh, which again, as expected, and they said two months after implementing their lockout and just two days after committing to players that a counter proposal would be made, the owners refused to make a counter and instead requested mediation. After consultation with our executive board and taking into account a variety of factors, we've declined this request. The clearest path to a fair and timely agreement is to get back to the table. Players stand by, ready to negotiate. Uh, and from here, the parties still have a legal duty to bargain, uh, including Friday. The sides have met for three straight days to discuss topics outside of core economics, including some important areas such as the draft. Uh, but there was no meeting scheduled on the big dollar issues, Adam, now. And let's just get this right out of the way. The Bavada odds of spring training now being delayed are near certain. Pitchers and catchers are supposed to report next week. Yeah, they. I think Bavada probably yanked those odds. Season is 100% getting delayed at this point. Uh, but what's interesting here the was season that, isn't necessary. Is the season? Uh, I loop spring training into the season. Like, to me, it's all getting delayed. So uh, what, let's do it this way. If Bavada had an over-under games at 161 and a half. I would take the under. I, I really just don't think – I think the problem is because you have owners like um, Dick Monfort, who's the owner of the Rockies, who openly said we're prepared to lose games. And I just think as a fan of the game, it really just seems like the owners are in no hurry because as much money as they've lost from COVID the past two years, they're still billionaires. They, they have the money to withhold this – and wait it out. Some players do, but the majority, I would say, do not. Yeah, and like you said last week, the, uh, the Steinbrenners are the only current owners that make their money off baseball. They're the the Steinbrenners are the only team that doesn't have a second business. And even they have their part. Of, they got the Yes Network, so it's not like the Steinbrenners are hurting for cash anytime soon. The Yes Network, the MLS team. I mean, I, I don't know what portion of the MLS team they own, but it's definitely some kind of revenue. Mm -hmm. What fascinated me the most was the MLB spokesperson's response to the Players Association later on Friday saying, our goal is to have players on the field and fans in the ballpark for spring training and opening day. With camps scheduled to open in less than two weeks, it is time to get immediate assistance from the Federal Mediation and Conciliation Service to help us work through our differences and break the deadlock. It is clear the most productive path forward would be the involvement of an impartial third party to help bridge gaps and facilitate an agreement. 
And it's hard to understand why a party that wants to make an agreement would reject mediation from the federal agency specifically tasked with resolving these disputes, including many successes in professional sports. MLB remains committed to offering solutions at the table and reaching a fair agreement for both sides. This to me, and a lot of players have echoed this, is the biggest piece of PR bullshit that Major League Baseball Manfred has put out through all this. Because if Major League Baseball really was that committed, they wouldn't have waited almost two months as we got into almost 2022 to start the negotiations. The reason they waited two months is because it backs the players into a corner more and more in their eyes. And this just this is classic PR nonsense in my mind. It's so clear that the players, at least in, again, my opinion, are the ones who want to get this done more than the owners. Well, yeah, I mean, opinion, fact, just common sense says the players need players need the paychecks more than the owners need to sign the paychecks. More so, I think I meant that the players are willing to truly get to the table and negotiate. Well, yeah, how the pl- players don't win negotiations. That's not how any negotiation works because the owners have the ultimate le- the old the owners have the ultimate leverage. So yeah, the players. This is the players' job. This is the players, how they make money, how they support their family, how they make a living. They need, they need these games more than the owners do. So it's, it's very easy to turn on the billionaires. So I guess looking forward to looking forward into the future, a couple questions on this. And then I have some player statements that I think were worth, uh, worth throwing out there because the players are now going after the owners of Manfred. So buckle up on Twitter. This is about to get real fun. What do you think, if at all, is the drop dead date of guys who need to reach a deal by this day for the season to start on time? March 1st. I agree with you. I think you need a full month and change of spring training. Uh, so that's question one I have for you. Question two, and we've, we've approached this in the past couple of weeks, but what, what do you think is the minimum spring training length? that teams and players would be comfortable agreeing to, to start the season on time. I think they need a month. That's why I picked March 1st. I think you need the baseball season is such a marathon that you need to kind of, you need to build up for it. You need those spring training games, probably more so than other sports, NFL, you see teams, NFL, NBA. I'm not too familiar with the hockey preseason schedule, but those sports, their stars don't need to play. They don't really need to be out there. Baseball, just with the amount of reps, you need your body to get acclimated or there will be a ton of injuries. So you jumped on my next question before I could even ask it. From the Players Association perspective, how much of a balance do you think there is struck between, you know, short term, we want to get 162 games and we want guys to start getting paid, et cetera, versus we can't give up too much spring training and preparation because we saw last year, and again, this wouldn't be a jump from a 60 game to 162 game season. But we saw last year so many guys from the shortened season and a difference in routine, like you said, got injured at a rate like they never have before. You know, where do you strike that balance between we want to get our players paid versus we got to look out for our players' long-term health and safety here and make sure that there is the delicate balance between payment and long-term health? I mean, that's why I keep going back to this one month of preparation thing. And you just, as long as you get the one month to get up to speed, get your body right, I think it's fine. It just... It, would be, it doesn't come down. Is that month going to be March 1st, April 1st, May, March 15th, April 15th, or mid-April to mid-May, or even later than that? I'm going to just keep firing rapid questions as they come into my head. Brain's a little scattered right now, but we don't have a whole lot to talk about the rest of the show, so I can just keep doing this. Well, I can keep uh, going on about that weather girl. Somebody asked me a very interesting question today, um, and we see it 
a lot. Like we saw it in the NFL lockout. You see it in the NBA lockout. And again, I think baseball, it's inherently harder to do this. But you see in the offseason, like a Tom Brady or in basketball, a Kobe back in the day, like guys who organize their team for workouts and they get, you know, some reps in. At what point do you think we'll see some of these veterans players try to organize team workouts or something close to it? I know baseball, it's so I don't know. That, is that how baseball operates? It seems like baseball, it's more everyone's on their own, held to their own standard to just kind of stay in shape for the season before, because there is that long spring training strategy. I think how it is. I think that is how it operates. I think you're absolutely right. But do you think if come March first, there's still no agreement? Spring training is full on and full on delayed and in peril. That we'll see certain teams and certain players step up and just do gatherings. Or I mean, dare I even say? And I have no idea how this works with the umpires and the umpires association. You grab some umpires and try to do some, you know, inner squad games, even if it's light. I think that would be a competitive disaster uh, because everyone would have different agendas. But it's it's a thought. I just don't know what part, what what union are the umpires under? I think they have their own union. I would think it's through a deal with the owners would be my guess. I don't think the if that if you, what you're saying is correct, that it sounds right to me. Umpires probably wouldn't be allowed. You need to get the uh, Joe West of the world out there to do these things. And I don't know. I always thought kind of un, pretty unrelated to what you said. I always thought a great charity event would be a Yankees Mets Central Park softball scrimmage. I want that would be awesome. Yeah, I don't I'm not getting pushed back from anyone. I just think the two teams need to do it. Here's my last question I want to ask you about uh spring training and the lockout and then we'll get into one last totally separate aspect of it that dropped an hour or two before the podcast. There's a lot of big free agents out there still. Freddie Freeman, Carlos Correa, Kershaw, those are the first three that come to mind. If spring training gets delayed, how do you think, if at all, that alters the Bavada odds of where these guys sign? And the reason I bring that up is it's like the Dodgers will throw money at Freeman. The Yankees, John Heyman, a reporter, will be in on Freeman. But do you think because there's going to be a congested window for them to get ready for the season, they go back to the teams that they're familiar with the system with and where the training staff, medical staff are familiar with them just knowing you only have so much time to gear up for the season or screw it. It's millions of dollars on the line. You're going to make the right decision regardless. I mean, the three, the three you mentioned are all slightly different. I think Kershaw, I think Kershaw already knows is what he's going to do. The, the more interesting thing with Kershaw is, does he really want to wait this shit out? Or is he just going to retire? That would be more interesting to me from the Kershaw perspective. Freeman swap out Kershaw with Carlos Rodon then. Kershaw was just the guy who came to mind for me. I mean, I think Freeman wants to be back in Atlanta. I, I, you know, I don't think the delay means anything for him. I think they're just going to make their, get their money where they can. Like, if Freeman wants to be back in Atlanta, he'll be back in Atlanta. If the Yankees give him the godfather offer, he'll take it. Last three quotes I want to share for this topic. Uh, all three guys are involved with the players, so she's pretty heavily. Alex Wood tweeted, how can MLB request for there to be a mediator from the federal government to help with negotiations when they literally haven't even done any negotiation negotiating up to this point, asking for a friend? Uh, Scherzer, Max Scherzer is on the executive subcommittee of the Players Association and raised the bar for free agents going forward with his 40 plus million dollar a year contract with the Mets. Scherzer, I think, does a very good job of explaining why there is a lockout for dummies from the player's side saying, we want a system where threshold and penalties don't function as caps, allow younger players to realize more of their market value, 
make service time manipulation a thing of the past and eliminate tanking as a winning strategy. And when you read it like that, well-articulated, it's hard to just not shrug your shoulders and go, man, that seems pretty reasonable to me. Yeah, that's why it's really easy to gang up on the billionaires. Trevor May today said, uh, we're talking about Manfred. He said he just doesn't think about the fan as a fan. He doesn't really think about the players as people. He thinks about all of us as a dollar sign. Strongly agree, agree, somewhat agree, or disagree. Uh, let me double check. I'm team strongly agree. I mean, I don't think you like – I mean, it's not really his job to think of the fan as a fan. I guess I like somewhere between somewhat and strongly, but I don't think he's, I don't think he should be villainized as strongly as that. It, it's his job. Because that, that's what his job is. Last thing I want to bring up on this, and I forgot where I read it, but I was talking about it with somebody and we both agreed that it made sense. Revenue sharing is not going away. And it doesn't seem like the owners want to agree to raise the competitive balance tax or the luxury tax substantially. So if you were the player, where do you think the compromise would come where say the owners don't want to raise the luxury tax, which I get for plethora of reasons. Do you think there's any scenario where they agreed to a salary floor of any kind? Because I think if the owners did agree to a salary floor, then the players would drop a lot of their demands about, you know, qualifying offers being attracted tax draft picks and other draft pick compensation, because ultimately all that does is to deter spending. But if there's a salary floor, you could still keep revenue sharing and everything, but you're forcing those teams who get it to just spend more money. So you're asking if a salary floor fixes finances? Do you think it's a feasible solution? Sounds so simple when we say it like this. I mean, your argument was pretty strong. But I think it creates a whole other set of problems if you do a salary floor. I'm trying to think. Where are the Pirates going to spend a bunch of money on this current roster? Like the, they're, they're, you, Then you end up in a weird spot where certain guys get overpaid, and then that messes things up for everyone down the line. the NBA. It's Timothy Moskov getting $16 million a year. Sorry to pick on Timothy Moskov, but that is the prime example of it. Yeah, but, so, but that's not going to – yeah, exactly. Timothy Moskov getting 16 a year doesn't fix competitive balance. Just makes a lot of Nuggets fans pretty fucking angry. I don't think the Nuggets – where I'll be at the game tomorrow. Sorry, I don't think the Nuggets gave him that contract. It was the Lakers, I think. I think. No, I think it was the Caps. Or, yeah. Because where did he start? He went Nick. Didn't he go Nick to Denver to Cleveland? And I think the Lakers gave him the crazy one. Finish your point. I'll keep looking up Timothy Moscow. Well, my point is again, then you end up with weird things like this that doesn't really fix that doesn't really fix the competitive balance issue. Does it help? It helps a small few. It helps the good players get a ton of money, but again, the bit when you think of these collective bargaining agreements, it's about the entire league. Not just the top, not just the top two, two, 10, even 50 percent. It's those guys making the minimum that need to get that set. Those minimum salaries need to go up. And that's where I'll give Max Scherzer a lot of credit because he's making over 40 million dollars a year and is still looking out for the little guy. And it was the Lakers, four years, 64 million dollars. One interesting report by the Associated Press today that is very much related to the lockout and it's something that I don't think many people thought of. Uh, is that Major League Baseball has stopped testing players for steroids for the first time in nearly 20 years. 
Due to the expiration of the sport drugs, sports drug agreement, two people familiar with the joint drug program told the, uh, told the AP, the halt in testing is a casualty of the December 2nd lockout on a provision in the joint drug agreement between Major League Baseball and the Players Association that states the termination date and time of this program shall be 11.59 p.m. Eastern time. And uh, Travis Tiger, the CEO of the U.S. Anti-Doping Agency, said this should be a major concern to all those who value fair play. Uh, Major League Baseball and the Union conducted over 48,000 tests from 2017 to 2021, including 7,327 during off-seasons, according to a November report. Uh, absent fear of detection, it is hard to predict whether some players will attempt to use PEDs in the period before a new CBA is placed, along with the restoration. I can predict it now that the players will. Let's set the over-under. I'm going to set the Bavada over-under for next year. Uh, because again, and this is a really good point by the anti-doping agency, this could be microdosing of testosterone, like we saw in cycling. If you have a good testing program, I feel like we haven't had a season filled with a bunch of PED pops in a while. So I'm going to set the Bavada over under at four and a half. Over. What is your over under? I was thinking r- roughly in line with you, but I would just take the over. This is. I just, think look, one. The users are always faster than the testers. So if you give people use, and people aren't not using steroids just because they're testing, it's just they're, they've figured out a way to do it without getting caught. Now that they're given this green light and this runway to do their experimenting and they can test, even if it is just a small microdosing, like the cycling example you use, like, why wouldn't they? It's so hard to get caught as if you, who got suspended last year? There was definitely a, at least one suspension. It's just not coming to me right now, but or Cano missed the whole season. Yeah, for one, he was, he was the big one. Like, you think he's the only one that's still taking steroids? That's ridiculously optimistic of you and naive. So I think it's going to happen. Um, it's kind of exciting when players get popped for PEDs, it, especially like the borderline all stars, the like the really good like out of nowhere guys. So I think it's kind of fun. So I'm rooting for it. People cheat to get better. They don't cheat to get worse. So you think it is fair to say that with this CBA expired and the drug joint agreement expired, the juice may in fact be loose yet again throughout Major League Baseball? They just keep loosening juices across the planet, across this great country of ours. Apple juice, grape juice, cranberry juice, you name it. Juice is loose, as is O.J. Simpson. Major League Baseball had a former All-Star announce his retirement this week. And to be 100% honest with you, did you know Adrian Gonzalez hadn't actually retired? <laughs> I think he should have said nothing. Unless if he was just looking out for us to give us more stuff to talk about. Just faded into the spotlight. Uh, so Adrian Gonzalez, after 15 major league seasons across the Red Sox, Rangers, Padres, Red Sox, Dodgers, and Mets, announced his retirement this week. Uh, the last time he played in the majors was in 2018. Uh, and he played in the Mexican League this past year. Uh, hitting 344, 12, 531 in 187 trips to the plate. He also represented Mexico in the 2020 Summer Olympics in Tokyo, where he had three hits and a walk in 12 plate appearances. Uh, and Adrian Gonzalez, I just before I go through his career, he to me, I don't think he would have been a Hall of Famer. But if he not screwed up his shoulder, I think he would have been a very interesting what if case and a guy who we definitely would have talked about more as a potential Hall of Famer. Not saying he would have been in. Can I? I think- can I say? Can I say? Uh, can I make a Prince Fielder cop, or is that too soon? No, I think Prince's injury was way worse. And- well, Prince's injury was worse, and Prince was further along than Adrian. But um, 
Yeah, Adrian was really, really good player. Like the Red Sox got him. When the Red Sox traded for him that offseason, I was scared. When he ended up on Boston, I was very scared. So Adrian was selected by the Marlins with the first overall pick in the 2000 amateur draft. Uh, it was part of a three-player package to the Rangers at the 2003 deadline in exchange for Ugwith Urbina, key piece in the Marlins at 2003 title one. Ron, he debuted in Arlington the following year, but never established himself as a regular in the Rangers lineup and was dealt again with Chris Young to the Padres for Adam Eden uh, and Akinori Atsuka. Great trade for the Padres, meanwhile. Just, just saying. Chris Young's a smart guy. Yeah, Gonzalez hit. Uh, San Diego native. He blossomed with his hometown club. He was four, made four consecutive all-star teams uh, from 2008 to 2011. Five consecutive seasons, garnering MVP votes starting in 2007. Uh, with a year of control remaining, Padres traded Gonzalez to the Red Sox ahead of the 2011 season, and they agreed to a seven-year, $154 million extension in April. Uh, despite strong production in Boston, including winning a Silver Slugger and leading the majors with 213 hits in 2011, he was shipped along with Carl Crawford, Josh Beckett, and Nick Punto for the Dodgers at the 2012 trade deadline and what amounted to a salary dump. And they solidified the Dodgers roster and helped inaugurate the club's present run as perennial contenders in the in the National League. This, to me, like in my mind, the Dodgers, you had before that trade and after that trade. Because that was right yeah, in line with when Guggenheim Baseball Management, the Dodgers' present ownership group. Uh, that was when they basically said, we're going to take on this money. We're going to be a contender. Um, and after four plus productive years as a Dodger, Gonzalez battled injuries in 2017, appearing in only 71 games his first season with fewer than 156 in 2005. Uh, with Cody Bellinger entrenched as a Dodgers first baseman in a year remaining on his contract, Gonzalez waived his no-trade clause in order to facilitate one of the more creative big money swaps in recent money memory. Heading to Atlanta along with Charlie Culberson, Brandon McCarthy, and Scott Casimir in exchange for who? One of your favorites. We haven't mentioned him in a while. Tehran was never on the Dodgers. Nope. Oh, God. It was, okay, one of my favorites on the Dodgers. Oh, oh boy. Well, oh, he got boy. Him from, well, he got him from the Braves. I know. Dodgers, Braves, Dodgers. Oh, Kemp. In exchange for Matt Kemp. So, Agons was a part of two fascinating salary trades. Uh, that both really kick-started dominant runs. You know, this deal enabled the Braves at the end of a rebuild to shift their payroll burden to 2018. Dodgers were able to slip below the luxury tax threshold. And per a pre-trade agreement, Braves designated Gonzalez for assignment. He signed with the Mets, hit 237 there, and was released by New York. Uh, all told, 317 home runs, 2,050 hits, 1,202 RBIs to go along with a 287, 385, 485 career slash line. Two silver sluggers, four gold gloves, five all-star games. Um, he'll appear on the ballot itself. Adrian Gonzalez, to me, he's one of those guys like Robbie Cano. I just think of a really sweet left-handed swing and a shit ton of doubles. Cano is better. Cano, Cano is going to have a Hall of Fame resume with a PED suspension or two or more. Uh, different players, obviously. But but yeah, it goes, the defensive thing, you kind of glossed over it. Defensively, he was outstanding. Yeah, I mean, Agon's from his 10-year peak, 06 to 15, 292, 366, 5-1-1, averaged uh, 37 doubles, 28 homers, 103 RBIs. Uh, again, he falls into the category. I would put him slightly above the Hall of Good, um, but definitely a guy who was a perennial all-star player and candidate, you know, when we were growing up watching baseball. Absolutely. He was 
And he was the Red Sox counter to Teixeira. And then they shipped him off. Yeah, they did. They shipped they him off. They got caught drinking beer and eating fried chicken, and they shipped him off. What happens? Doggy dog world. You can't drink chicken and beer in the dugout. The world we live in. So congratulations to Adrian Gonzalez on a fantastic career. We wish you the I best. I don't want to say congratulations. on. It seems like that he's misses Mark for congratulations on a fantastic career. That's fair. I guess I just haven't thought of him in such a long time. That This is my way of saying congratulations. I'm going to say you retired four years ago. A belated congratulations. Better? I'm not going to tell you not to. Be, you were being very nice. I'm not going to stop your kindness. I always liked Agons. Good, good hitter. Fun to watch at first base. Uh, another guy who's fun to watch play is Tyler Glass now. Uh, he's among some of the higher-profile trade, trade candidates around the league. Even though he underwent Tommy John surgery last August and will miss the bulk of this season, um, he's in his second-to-last year of club control with the Rays. Could find himself on the move after the lockout. We know the Rays love to sell high and trade guys while they're at their peak to refurbish the system. Uh, we just saw that with Blake Snell. We, uh, we've seen it time and time again. And interestingly enough, the 28-year-old Glass now chatted with Chris Rose and John Boy Media during a recent episode of the Chris Rose Rotation and asked whether he'd remain a member of the Rays. He noted some uncertainty but flatly stated that'd be his preference, saying, your guess is as good as mine. I hope, I really, really hope. I didn't get traded before the lockout, so that's a good sign. I think if somebody were to call the Rays and give them a really awesome deal or something, um, Eric Neander is not going to be like, no, he has to listen to everything. That's how just being a GM is. But we have a really good relationship. Time will tell, but I would much prefer to stay a Ray. Bavada odds that Tyler Glass now gets a second contract with the Tampa Bay Rays. Because as great as Snell was, it's looking like they did trade him at the right time. But Glass now will have gotten the elbow surgery out of the way. And he's just one of those guys. Like when you dream up what a major league pitcher could look like, Tyler Glass now is what I picture from a right-handed starter, a 6'8 horse who throws gas and has a wipeout curveball. Bavada odds he stays in Tampa, in your opinion. Minus 175. Oh, so you think he, that you think he is the guy they keep the build around? Him and Wander, perhaps. If, it, if it's not him and Wander, then they don't then they don't know what they're doing. I get send it. Their, then send their asses to Montreal. They've been right pretty much every time on this. But this guy minus the elbow injury is every, is he's everything you want a starter. You need to keep him. And he said he wants to stay. Just give him the damn money. So let's say Glass now comes back, pitches in September, pitches well, has another Glass now year in 2023, hits free agency. What do you think he commands on the open market? Is he a $200 million pitcher? Because as good as, Easily. He, because Easily. As good as he's looked, he still has yet to have that full dominant season. It doesn't matter. You need to put two teams against each other, someone will give him 200 easily. And in that, in that case, we're pricing him out of Tampa, yes? And when you say we, do you mean send Glass now to the Angels? <laughs> Honestly, that would be an epic fit. They're all epic fits. The Angels need pitching so badly. I think that would be a very, very strong fit. My, my real question on Glass now is if the Rays do try to keep him, what do you think is the most the Rays would offer for him? Just knowing the Rays. I think they'd try and give him a lower AAV over a ton of – I think they would try and give him a similar contract to the Stanton one where they give him a lot of years 
at a slightly lower average annual, but backloaded so they can get out of it. Yeah, I think that makes sense. To me, the glass now floor is the Zach Wheeler contract. And remember, when He's Zach Wheeler signed that contract, he was not Cy Young runner-up Zach Wheeler. He, he yeah. Wheel, yeah, that's, that's, like a, that's a really low floor, Jason. Hundred, you think 150 million is a low floor? I thought Wheeler got 125. No, I think he got like seven for 154. I'm gonna I fact check myself. Right for one, now. I thought it was five for 125. I'm gonna fact check myself right now. One second. Oh, five for 118. You're right. That I that does seem like a low floor to me. Five for 130 is the floor. I'd say five. I think it's gonna be Glasnow's still really young, right? He'll be 30 when he hits free agents, approaching 30. Okay. That's actually a little older than I thought. Like, if he has another Cy Young caliber season before then, could he get the Garrett Cole contract? The only reason I don't think so is just, again, I, I think he, he would need to come out and absolutely shell in 2023 just because as great as he looks, and I love Glass now, I, I think I picked him to win the Cy Young this past year, to be honest with you. I love mm-hmm. Glass now. I, I just, again, he has yet to put it together for an entire season and is 28 years old. Um, I think a big test for all future free agent pitchers is how Max Scherzer performs on the short deal. Like the first, like Bauer did it, and I'm gonna give I'm gonna grade that as an incomplete. Bauer, as a person, piece of shit, but as a pitcher, was living up to that contract in year one. Spin spin rate issues and all. So if Scherzer can perform well on a th- short, crazy AV contract, maybe that's the. Maybe that's the new trend for starting pitchers uh, as free agents. Yep, could completely reset the market and how we think of free agent pitchers. You mentioned Cowboy Joe West before. Uh, we don't get to talk about umpire news a lot, so I'm going to do that real quick. Uh, five umpires have been promoted to the Major League staff to replace five longtime umpires who are retiring. MLB announced Friday. Ryan Addington, Sean Barber, John Libka, Ben May, and Roberto Ortiz joined the big league staff in place of Fielden Colbert, Kerwin Danley, Jerry Davis, Brian Gorman, and Joe West. Ortiz promotion makes MLB history as the first Puerto Rican-born full-time major league umpire. Each of the retiring umpires made their mark in the history books. West umpired a record 5,460 MLB games over 45 years, set the record this past May. Davis umpired 4,849 games, which ranks fourth all-time, ranked five, 151 postseason games during his 38 career in the year in the 38-year career in the majors. Kerwin Danley, 25 years as an ump in the majors after becoming a collegiate All-American baseball player at San Diego State. 2020, he became the first black crew chief in MLB history. Colbert umpired in the MLB for 25 years, during which time he worked three World Series, was a member of the umpiring crew for Cal Ripken Jr.'s 3,000th hit. Gorman worked three World Series as well and is the son of former MLB player and umpire Tom Gorman and represented the MLB umpires at MLB's playing rule, MLB Playing Rules Committee for many years. Uh, Marvin Hudson, Laz Diaz, Ron Copa, and Bill Welke all, com- all promoted to crew chiefs. Congratulations to those guys. Mostly I bring this up for two reasons. One, because I thought there was a great joke that was made by Ryan Spader saying, I just hit up Joe West to congratulate him on his retirement, but he missed the call. Yeah, Joe West got a lot of, got a lot of stuff against him. People don't really like Joe West, the umpire. That's my first thing. And my second thing is going to be, how pissed do you think Angel Hernandez is 
that there were five new crew chiefs and he is not one of them. He's probably going to, he's not happy. He's not happy would be the short answer. Got some lists to wrap up the show, but before that, I got some rapid fire news I want to run by you. Uh, the first thing is AAA. The season is now being expanded to 150 games from 144 in the first full season that the minor leagues are being run by Major League Baseball. This is done mostly to line up the seasons more uh, up to September call-ups where players are fresh and they can go right up to the major leagues, be ready to play from there. This is something, subtle change. Most people might not, Most people will probably not notice it, but I like it, to be 100% honest. I think it's good. Yeah, def- I mean, when you say the explanation out loud, it makes a lot of sense. It's the first thing that the owners have done in a long time that has an explanation that not only makes sense, but you could go, you know what? They're doing that for the right reason, the players. Yep. Ben and you try to make the owners out to be the bad guy. I know, right? Silly me thinking billionaires have no moral conscience or fiber. Uh, Bet MGM and the Washington Nationals announced last week the opening of the first retail sportsbook connected to a Major League Baseball stadium. The Bet MGM Sportsbook at National Park is open year-round, providing sports fans an innovative entertainment destination to watch and wager on games. Publicly accessible from North Street SE next to the center field gate, the new sportsbook features 40 big screen TVs with live odds, odds boards that update as the action progresses. This is the first of what I think is going to be many, but how quickly do you think we will see Major League Baseball teams fully acclimate and with sports betting being so ingrained in sports, have their own sports books within their stadiums? All the time. It. I mean, over under Memorial Day, you and I take a trip to D.C. Well, I don't think that's an over under. It's uh, yeah, I would be down to make the trip. Uh, but I was going to ask you, Bavada over under. We see. I'm going to say by the end of 2023, um, because, you know, these are buildings that take construction, but I'll say over under seven and a half teams have sports books attached to their stadiums by the end of 2023. Under. Follow-up question then, which team do you think will be the last holdout all the way down the road to have a sports book in their stadium? Um, the uh, California teams. Cal- Gavin Newsom doesn't seem to want to legalize sports betting. I'm going to go with the uh, – I'm going to go with the Guardians. No particular reason. You all right? Last two, last two pieces of news I have. Uh, Kumar Rocker, the last time we heard about him, he was selected with the 10th overall pick in the draft by the Mets. You and I both said the Mets did something right. Great draft pick. Then they failed his medical. Now he goes back into the draft next year. Uh, he's not going to return to Vanderbilt, his former coach said. But he did say he might play independent baseball. We've seen this in the past. J.D. Drew, when he was picked in the draft, he couldn't reach an agreement, and he ended up playing independent ball. If you were Boris and Kumar Rocker, what is your plan for the future knowing you're going to re-enter the draft? Um, well, Kumar Rocker knows his stuff better than I do. Uh, it's a gamble going to the independent league. To me, you just throw some bullpens for teams, call it a day. You cannot risk getting hurt at this point. I would also – for me, I, if he was going to do a route this way, go to Japan and play. Get some culture experience that you're not going to have the opportunity. And make some cold, hard cash, candidly speaking. Yeah, you can get real money overseas, so do that. Don't do like these – Like I know we talk about the minor league uh, minor league player living conditions being 
being like pathetically bad because they can, the owners do it. The independent leaguers make very make small salaries in bizarre towns across the country. Like if you're, he should go overseas, he should do an MLB equivalent of what Brandon Jennings did. Brandon Jennings, but when Brandon Jennings went over, he had an opt out. Yes, I think he only missed. I think he would have been his freshman year of college. He went overseas. You're right. That was one. I'm thinking of all the guys who went to Japan. I don't believe Brandon Jennings went there. Lamelo Ball. That's a whole separate story. Congrats to Lamelo though on making the All Star team. He was announced as KD's replacement today. That's the right pick. And, shout out, and you know what? Back to Pat. Shout out to Deontay Murray. He should have made it to begin with. The guy's almost averaging a triple-double. People love triple-doubles, except that Russ doesn't nowadays. Uh, as Bavada Sportsbook knows all too well, Russ has not been making a lot of triple-doubles lately, and my bank account has suffered. Some would say he's due. Speaking of a bank account suffering, uh, you and I have seen in the past year a lot of our friends get into the baseball card and the NFT bubble, some more than others. And you and I also went to go see in person the TT06 Honus Wagner card. This week, it was authenticated by PSA, so at least you know it's legit. But literally, a card that was ripped in half. The Honus Wagner card, his face is intact, but most of his uniform is ripping. Somebody paid $475,959 for that card. What in the fucking world has this bubble come to? Like, that's the car. I mean, that's the card to do it, but that's so much damn money. Just like buy 25,000 packs of Coors Light. It's a lot That'd of be- Coors Light. Yeah, but you're pretty much good. For- uh, are you checking yeah, for Coors Lights right now? What? Are you checking for Coors Lights right now? Yeah, cool. well, we're in the Rockies. When I record in the Rockies, like the only beer that's appropriate to drink is a beer that's cold as the Rockies. Rocky Mountain Way. Here's my other question, though. If somebody found the other half of that card, what do you think they could demand that the person pays them for the other half? Um, the other half of that card just went way up in value. Supply and demand. 125000 slightly under. Oh, you think it'll get less? To me, you could get way more for it. No, you can't get way more. The face. It's all about the face. It's all about the optics. Yeah, but think there. of it this way, though. The Wagner card sold for $6 million. If, you, if this guy gets the other half of the card, he's got the two pieces of the $6 million puzzle. He's like the $6 million man. But for Honus Wagner baseball, tobacco cards. Just get $6 million worth of tobacco. It's one way to do it. True red man. Um, no. No. Don't chew red man. That's right. You said that to me. Yeah, they renamed uh, the old um, – one of America's oldest chew companies had a rebrand this week. And I can't recall what they changed it to. It is now da, 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 da. Da, da, do, 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 do. Well, if nothing, I'm not really sure what the name is, but they got rid of the uh, the picture on the back. A couple tweets real quick, and then I got some lists. I know you love your lists. Uh, one okay. is from one is from Chris Bassett. Hey, Sierra, remind me every day. Catch liners with your glove and not your face. Thanks. Yeah, that's like. 
On the, I think I've said this before on the long list of why I wasn't an MLB pitcher. Fear of comebacks is number one. Even as our softball pitcher, I understand. Uh, from Jim Passan, Hank Aaron, the all-time leader in extra base hits, has more singles in his career than Edgar Martinez had total hits in his career. I mean, Edgar's a Hall of Famer, but he's not. There are classes of within the Hall of Fame. Still crazy statistic, though. From MLB stats, Ricky Henderson holds the MLB record for steals with 1,406. For someone to break the record, they would need to average 60 steals a season for over 23 seasons. That record, I think, is breakable because I don't. there's no way to defend speed. And if the fastest man on earth, fastest man or woman, tries to get on a baseball field, I think that they would be able to do it and just go completely unleashed by the bases. I agree that it's possible. I, I just don't think it will ever happen because for that to, for that series of events to happen, it will never happen. It wouldn't be a 60 a year for 23 years. It would be more of like, wow, this person averaged to steal a game for a decade. That would do it then. Uh, and my last tweet is from Matt Lisley. He tweeted this video saying, my friend's son needs help. Any suggestions? It's a guy hitting off the cage against his dad. And all of these guys are talking about, oh, his front foot is flying open. Oh, his weight is re- isn't distributed right. All these coaches who think they know so much about baseball are doing all of these criticisms. And you know who the video was of? No. Mike Trout. <laughs> and people went at these tr- troll coaches saying, you could say all you want. But that's fucking Mike Trout. Why don't you watch the video a little bit closer next time? Some people like to flex on the internet. That's why I started a podcast. Get all my flexing out here. All right. So there's, I got three lists. One was from Thomas Harrigan, the greatest moments at the old Yankee Stadium, the house that Ruth built. There's so many memories at the stadium. I'm going to just run through real quick the ones that occurred while we were alive. So they got the Jeter Jeffrey Mayer home run. Yep. Girardi's game six triple in the Braves World Series in game six that got the scoring going. Yankees won the World Series. Um, The David Wells perfect game in 98. Tino's grand slam to put the Yankees up in game one against the Padres in a World Series. They swept. Coney's perfect perfect game. George Bush's perfect pitch in the World Series after 9-11. Jeter, Mr. November. Um, The next day, the Yankee walk-off. When Alfonso Soriano's walk-off single in the bottom of the 12th gave the Yankees a stunning 3-2 lead. The Boone home run in 03. Jeter flying into the stands in 04. Red Sox complete the comeback in 04 as well. Break the curse, or on their way to breaking the curse. Oh, you're using other team highlights too. This was just on the list. And Josh Hamilton's home run derby performance in the last year of the stadium in 2008. Of all of those moments... I think it's, I have a pretty, there's one, there's one that's, or two, same concept. There are two that are clear to me. Yeah. To me, the clear number one on this list, the greatest moment in the old Yankee stadium when we were alive, it's Bush. Not even close. Not even close. I mean, the Jeter home run was so incredible. That's not my other one either. What's your other one? You make your point because, and I'll make mine. I just think for me, the Bush one, uh, you know, look, we quote that's somewhat overused is it's bigger than the game or bigger than sports. This is the most applicable moment of that. And maybe our country's history. It's part of the reason I've used it in my rant as to why David Ortiz is the first ballot Hall of Famer, his speech post Boston bombing. 
The whole country was reeling. All eyes were on this game. And Bush gets up, throws them out, fires a heater down the middle. And again, I was five years old to this, but from everything I've read and what I can imagine, that was one of those moments where the country can look at one another and say, we're going to get through this. We're going to be okay. That stadium was founded on the Babe Ruth trade. And for almost the entirety of that stadium's existence, the Yankees were the bully big brother to the tiny, weak Red Sox little brother. The Boone home run in 03, this was my clear number one. That was the last moment when the Yankees could, I mean, just, I mean, take their nuts out in front of, in front of Red Sox fans. Every, that's why the Jeter catch in 04 was kind of like, I almost, I almost have that one there, but obviously what happened the rest of that season, it wouldn't work out so well. But does that Jeter play when that shit happens? It's like the Red Sox fans look at themselves and think, what? This, we're never going to beat this team. There's nothing we can do. But that Boone home run sending us to the World Series, I mean, felt like it was over at that point for Boston and that they would never top Big Brother. And then they told us to eat shit the next year on our own. It's like, funny how it, karma yeah. in the world works. Looking yeah. at the rest of this list and some of the other events, uh, to me, if I were to go throughout history, I still think Bush would be one for me, honestly. Uh, I mean, the Garrick Luckiest Man speech would be up there for me, given the uh, significance there. But even though Coney and Boomer's perfect games were so incredible, I think Don Larson's perfect game would be the number two moment for me because it was a perfect game in the World Series against your crosstown in-state rivals who had beaten you for the championship the year before for their first title. Uh, to me, there's nothing more incredible than that. A perfect game in the World Series. That's a great pick. I like that pick. All right, two other lists, and I have been sitting on these for a long, long time. Uh, the first one is, who is each club's best player of the 90s? Um, so I won't go through the whole list necessarily, um, but I'll just, I'll, I, you know what I'll do? I'll, I'll say to you, like, the teams that were relevant in the 90s and who won a bunch, and then you could guess from there. Uh, so who do you think they had as the Blue Jays' best player in the 90s? Blue Jays won back-to-back World Series. Alomar? They won John Olerud. I think Olerud was probably the most consistent player on that Blue Jays. John Olerud in 1993 is the only player since Lou Gehrig and Harry Heilman in 1927 to hit 360 with 50 doubles and a 470 OBP. Yeah, we're very good, very consistent. Orioles, I'm going to skip because it's obvious. Rays, they said Fred McGriff. Red Sox, who do you think they said for the Red Sox? Vaughn. They went with the Rocket. Yeah, I don't know the the Clemens timeline as well. I just know Vaughn got the MVP there. Well, from 90 to 92, Clemens became the first pitcher to lead the AL and ERA three straight years since Lefty Grove. Here's the bit. Here's the big one. Who'd they go with for the Yankees? You'd want I, – I would guess Jeter if I had to pick one. Bernie was there the longest. So they went with Bernie. Bernie led the Yankees in the 90s in games, played appearances, runs, hits, homers, walks, steals, and war. And when you hear it that way – I actually think Bernie Williams should – I wonder if there's the – you can assemble a committee that gets Bernie Williams in the Hall of Fame. 100%. Might need to be a lot of Yanks, but did everything right for 20 years in New York. Guardians. Those teams won a lot in the 90s. 
This team's won a lot. I mean, Albert Bell was their best player. If they didn't take Bell, they were just because he's an asshole. So they mentioned Bell, Tome, and Manny in the description. They went with Kenny Lofton, who from 1992 to 96 led the AL in steals every year, averaging 65. Final four Hooper for the Arizona Wildcats, Kenny Lofton. Also true. White Sox, Frank Thomas, no surprise. Royals, Kevin Apier, Tigers, Cecil Fielder. Twins, who do you think they went with? Twins won a World Series in that decade. They did not go with Kirby. They go with Morris? Chuck Noblock, future Yankee. Huh. Did he win a rookie of the year? I think in 90 he won it. Yeah, that makes sense. Though. Angels, Tim Salmon, no surprise there. Astros, Bagwell, yep. A's, Ricky Henderson, Mariners, Griffey, Rangers, Pudge. Of all of the Braves, who did they go with? Andre came up too late, didn't he? I mean, it should be Maddox. No, I don't Maddox. care. They short. went it, Maddox. It's Maddox. Key fact, he's the only pitcher in history with multiple seasons of 200 innings and 260 ERA plus, which he did in 94 to 95. Who do you think they went with for the Mets? Humor me. The 90s Mets? I don't know who was on the 90s Mets. But the 90s Mets, am I, am I forgetting someone? Was Daryl still around? They went Edgardo Alfonso. That's who he's the name that shows up, but that's just because I follow Mets on Twitter. Marlins, who they go with? That team won a World Series in '97. Levon. Who? Levon Hernandez. They went with Chef. Chef Lowkey played six years there. Yeah, man, he got it. He figured out you're supposed to be playing baseball in Miami because Miami's mad fun. Expos Larry Walker, Expos slash Nats, Phillies Schilling, Brewers Jeff Cirillo, Cardinals. They did not go McGuire. They went Ray Lankford. Okay. Cubs. Sosa, I would have gone with. But. Cubs, Sosa, Pirates, Jay Bell, Reds, Barry Larkin. Jay Bell, amazingly enough, is on this list twice. Huh? Who also knew? Also made it for the D-backs. Dodgers. They had five rookies of the year that decade. Um, Hideo Nomo, also that decade. But who'd they go with for the best player of the decade? Is it one of the rookies of the year? Yep. Piazza? Mike Piazza. Giants, Bonds, Padres. Did Piazza wear a hat in the Hall of Fame, or did he go no hat? You'd have to look that up. I don't remember offhand. Giants, Bonds, Padres, Gwynn, and the only other player to be on this list twice other than Jay Bell, Larry Walker, also there for the Rockies. That one makes – they both make sense. He went Piazza went with the Mets. That also makes sense to me, though. Yeah, that makes sense. All right, if so the, fun, it would have been the Mets, but I could the final that. list of the week is MLB team. Every MLB's team best best free agent signing. This is from Mike Axisa. Mike Axisa. I don't know how you say his last name. Good baseball writer though. Wrote this in January for CBS Sports, and I mostly want to just go through this because one, I think it's interesting, but two, just to see the discrepancy in some of the players. Um, I'm going to skip the obvious ones like D-backs, big unit, Braves, Maddox, Doug. Maddox. Nat Scherzer. Well, who do you think the Orioles was? I'd have to guess not Chris Davis. Not Chris Davis. And I'm also going to – it hates me to guess not Matt Harvey, but I'm going to have to guess not Matt Harvey. Rafael Palmero. I actually would have guessed Tejada. 94 not- to 98, Palmero had 292, 371, 545, an average 36 homers a year. Palmero was really fucking good. Yep, all he needed to do was not get busted for roids that last year, and he was an inner circle Hall of Famer. 
or not be a dick about it. Also fair. Red Sox. Ortiz. David Ortiz. Cubs. Did they say Lester? I think it's the objective answer. Yeah, the Cubs were pretty bad for a while. I'm not sure you heard. White Sox, Carlton Fisk. I'm just some of the ones I know we're not going to get. Reds, Gabe Parker, Guardians, Roberto Alomar, Rockies, Larry Walker, Tigers. Who do you think they went with? Um, well, can't be Miguel because that was a trade. That's the thing. And they drafted Verlander. They traded for Scherzer. Prince wasn't there long enough. Torrey Hunter wasn't good enough. Did they trade? Did they sign Maglio as a free agent? I believe so, but he was not the choice. Uh, See, so I would imagine it's someone. Re- Did they sign Pudge as a free agent? Pudge, over the four years, hit 298, four All Star games, three gold gloves, and led the team to the pen in 06. That was a good thought one. This is an interesting one. The Astros. Who was it? Brantley? Not Brantley, because we've seen a lot of good free agent signings in our time with them. Charlie Morton, Jeff Kent, Clemens, but this one tops them all. He became the first player to ever earn more than a million dollars in a season. Nolan? or Nolan Ryan. Yeah, that was a good hint. Royals, David Cohn, Angels. We send a lot of guys there. Um, again, I'm going to have to assume not Hamilton or Pujols. That is correct. Also not C.J. Wilson. I'll give you that one as well. Vlad? Vlad is the correct answer. Dodgers. This one might be the biggest no-brainer of the whole list. Oh, boy. You can't say things like that, Chase. May go down as the best free agent signing ever. Chase, you really can't say things like that. You're putting too much pressure on me. Sorry, dog. The best free agent signing ever? So it's not Bauer. Dodgers free agent signing that was the best one ever hmm i mean this guy's not a hall of famer is it justin turner justin turner yeah marlins kevin brown brewers this one happened in our lifetime who did they got in our lifetime in our very much in our lifetime I, mean, I the only person I can think of the Brewers signing is Lorenzo Cain and Kyle Loesch. Lorenzo Cain is correct. Yeah, so obviously the Brewers have not signed a ton of free agents. Twins, they went with Chili Davis. Would not have gotten that. Melt. Melt. Mets, Beltron. New York Yankees, who'd they go with? This should go with, uh, I mean, did they do CC? CC is the best one in my memory. Um, who was that guy? Like the first one? They, it's not like a goose gossip, is it? Nope. Hmm. Hmm. I will also say it's not honorable mentions Giambi, Matsui, Moose, or CC, as you said. What about, I mean, LeMahieu has been good lately, but it's definitely not LeMahieu. Now, betting for the Yankees. This is my very bad Bob Shepard voice. Number 44, Mr. Uh, yeah. October, Reggie. 
Jackson. Jackson. Star of uh, Star of Naked Gun and Basketball. A's, Dave Stewart, one-year prorated minimum. Great signing. Phillies. I actually have a bone to pick with this one. I mean, they didn't say Harper already, did they? Nope. It's Cliff Lee. I mean, I actually would have gone Cliff Lee. They went Pete Rose because in his four years, they won the World Series and he hit 300. That's a good argument. Pirates. You want to hear a sad one? The best free agent signing in the history of the Pirates. Oh, how sad is this? We liked him. He was a, guy, a Yankee who I liked quite a bit, but that's mad. Russell Martin. He was really good there. He got. He kind of was the stabilizing force that got him the finals. That is pathetic. Cardinals. Chris Carpenter to a one-year, three hundred thousand dollar deal. Great move there. Padres. It was Steve Garvey. They went with Garvey over Goose or Machado. I think Machado will eventually break that. Giants, Bonds, no surprise. Mariners, Ichiro, no surprise. Rays, this is also no surprise. Rays and the Rangers, no surprises there. You keep saying no surprise, and then I'm always surprised. Well, because the Rays, what happened in December 2018? Think recency bias on this one. Charlie Morton? Chuck Morton. Rangers, this guy's going to go into the hall as a Ranger. Beltre? Adrian Beltre. Although the A-Rod contract, even though they didn't win shit, all A-Rod did was match the baseball there. I mean, I think the A-Rod contract... They didn't do a great job. They didn't get a great return for A-Rod from the Yanks. They got Soriano. And they flipped him. Or he left. I know. The problem is it's just A-Rod contract for, uh, for any era. But for that time especially, it was just so much money. Blue Jays Hall of Famer Paul Molitor. And last but certainly not least for the Washington Nationals, a contract you and I may say will probably be the best free agent contract of our lifetimes. Mad Max Scherzer. I think the best... The, the three all-time best contracts you listed are all pitchers. I don't think you can argue for any of these contracts better than Unit, Scherzer, and Max. I think without question, those are the three best in Major League history. And let's hope Garrett Cole joins the list. Hey, bed to that, brother. That is all I got planned for this week's podcast. Any concluding thoughts? Yeah, get your flu shots, get vaccinated. And I'm seeing a lot of this the further I get from major metropolises. There's no reason to drink and drive. There's Uber and Lyft everywhere. Just don't do it. I agree. It doesn't matter how rich or poor you are. Driving drunk is never okay. And there are literally ride-sharing services that exist to prevent it. So I am 100% with you any day, any time for that message. Super Bowls this Sunday. Get your, pre- get your wings. Get your legal bets in. Get your friends. Get your beers. Uh, who are we rooting for on the podcast? Dude, who have we rooted for all season? That's true. Uh, go Rams. You for your boy, Matt Stafford. Me for my Los Angeles friends. Although if the Bengals win, I will not be upset because people I Cincinnati are good and I love Joe Burrow. Uh, and my last concluding thought is going to be, Bryce, I'm looking forward to spending a second Valentine's Day in a row with you next week. Uh, last year, we went to the Met, tried to find love at the Met. We did not. Do you think we will have more success at the Knicks Thunder game? Bovada odds say as long as I'm back in town. And Lou Dort is back. I know you were worried. It's playing the night. Masked, masked Lou Dort. I think 
we will find love at this game. Well, I think of anything else, we'll find love maybe with Luke Dort, but our chances of finding love for ourselves are shattered because everyone's just going to go for the mask, the new masked warrior, Luke Dort. There, there, I, I could angle it. There, there, I could really try and like figure a way out to pretend that Luke Dort and I are friends. I should have tried it when I was in Oklahoma City. I should have started screaming, Je suis venu de Montreal, vive le Canada, and tried to do the whole French Canadian thing. But he would, my accent would be too. Lyonnais and not enough Quebecois, if you know what I'm saying. I don't know what you're saying, but we'll keep you posted if Bryce successfully pulls off being Lou Dort's friend. Have a great Super Bowl Sunday. Have a great Valentine's Day. Stay safe out there. With Bryce Holden, my name is Chase Wodorski, and this is the Underdog Sports Baseball Show. (laughs) 